0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christchurch Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. He would have been content, but he's incredibly grateful for their care for him. Look at verse 14. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, Being in prison is really inconvenient. If you don't know, it's an inconvenient thing to be in prison, especially if you're there for something like preaching the gospel or refusing to obey authorities and stop preaching the gospel. It's a really frustrating thing and an inconvenient thing. Uh, but it's not only inconvenient for the apostle, he couldn't do his work as a tent maker, which is what he would do to supplement his ministry needs. The church at Philippi would support him, and then he would do this tent making work to, to fill in any of the gaps that he needed. But when you're in prison, you can't be making tents. You can't do that. So Paul couldn't do what he needed to do to provide. It wasn't like a, a, a prison system today that you got three meals a day, you got your hour out of your cell. It was, he, he was still it was on him to provide anything that he would need, or he would just die in prison. So the church in Philippi supported him, and now they were going to have to support him full time. Anything that Paul would get, it was going to come through the gift that Epaphroditus would bring. And if he didn't bring it, if he didn't get it, then he wouldn't have it. And so it was a burden, not just for Paul to be in prison, but it was also a burden on the church at Philippi. It was trouble. And he said, thank you so much for sharing in my trouble. I don't like being here. I don't want to be here. I'll be here for the Lord if, if this is what he wants for me in his mysterious Will, But I want to thank you, church at Philippi, for sharing in my trouble. If you are in trouble, it's like they're saying, Paul, if you're in trouble, we're in trouble. And we're going to allow ourselves to be burdened to take care of you. And and friends, this is what the church has always done. We always take care of each other. And uh, if we're in trouble, well, we come alongside and we help those who are in trouble. And this is what the church did. Look at verse 15 and 16. And you Philippians... Yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again and again. The beginning of the gospel here is not talking about Pentecost, it's not talking about the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel, but what he's talking about. It's when the gospel of Jesus came to Macedonia, and Macedonia was a region, and there were several communities in the region of Macedonia. You can read about this in in the book of Acts, verse 14, 15, 16, in that area, and uh, Philippi was the largest church in the region of Macedonia, and so it was a a central city. It was a Roman city, and when he left Macedonia, the only church in Macedonia to help him was this, this church, the church in Philippi, and He said, this Thessalonica, they couldn't do it either. You just, you continued to help me. And so he's recollecting, he's thinking back and remembering that this church was the only church that helped him out. Um, Philippians, the the Philippians funded the mission. They understood the value of giving to this mission. In Corinth as well, Paul was supported by the church. uh, Wasn't supported by that church. He was supported by the church at Philippi. And in fact, we're going to go there in a little, a little while When Paul talks to the church at Corinth about giving, he gives the example of the church in Macedonia. And he says to them, I haven't burdened you, I've worked with my hands, I've done tent making, it's the church in Macedonia that's given to me, that's provided for me, that's supported me. And I can think about the Apostle Paul and and being, kind of putting myself in his shoes, if you put yourself in his shoes, it would feel rather discouraging to go from church to church that you had a part in in founding and planting and you went and through great persecution, through great turmoil and difficulty, started these churches, and the grace of God was poured out over these small communities. And then they're like, we can't help you, Paul. Like, we we can't. I'm sorry. We love you, but we can't give you a dime. And then he gets to the church of Philippi, and they're very poor, and the church says, yeah, absolutely, we're going to help you. And imagine what that would do for him as he's praying, God, please support. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to go and continue to do this work, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some support. Traveling from city to city costs a little bit of money, and I can do my work, but I need these churches to help me out. And the church of Philippi, I can imagine him sitting, talking to the council of overseers and deacons and saying, hey, guys, I need some help here. And, and them saying, yeah, we'll do this. We're going to bring this to the church, and the church is going to help, and we're going to fund it. Wherever you go, we're going to be there to help you out. I can imagine for him how grateful he would have been. Imagine you, if you put yourself in his shoes how grateful you would be they all told him no, but, uh, but this church told them yeah. Uh, think about this, what, what seems to be the smallness of the act of the individual members of the church at Philippi who gave, not knowing all that their giving would fund or fuel. Some of them probably gave the equivalent of 30 cents or $2. We're going to look at it here in a little bit, but we're going to see all that, that God does with simple obedience. It's pretty remarkable. In fact, this church was very, very generous through their poverty. They didn't have a whole lot. A lot of them were pinching pennies. They all shopped at Aldi, and they all had coupons. They were couponers. Woohoo! When shot to couponers. They had their own gardens. They had to do whatever they had to do to get money. They, they were a very poor church. We, we get insight into this in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to ask you to turn there, actually, this morning. We're going to turn here. This is the only place we'll turn this morning other than Philippians chapter 4, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, I want you to get a window into the church at Philippi. And for them to say yes, for them to give, uh, required a lot from each individual. And it required them to express faith that God is their provider. Starting in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. So whatever they could give. I've got four bucks. That's all I got in my pocket. Four bucks. Here you go. I got a pocket knife. I I came here without my wallet this morning. I, I couldn't find my wallet. I got my pocket knife, though. My Texas toothpick. So they reached in their wallets and gave out of their means, but then, watch this, of their own accord, begging us, excuse me, um, extreme poverty overflowed to the wealth of generosity, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's, It's fascinating. Their concern went beyond Paul. But what they did for Paul was representative of what they did for the other saints as well who were in need. This church in Macedonia would be an example for the church in Corinth, an example for the church today across the whole world. And they had no idea when they answered this simple call to help the saints in need that we would be talking about this church. We don't know any of their names, but we would be talking about their simple acts of obedience and the ripple effect of their obedience is still felt today. Here's my $4. And it fueled Paul to not die in prison. We don't know exact details around Paul's death, but we know that the grace of God was the motive for this church in Macedonia. They experienced God's grace, and it had real effect. It's like this, as Doug Wilson says, it was theology that came out of their fingertips. God has been gracious to me. How can we not be gracious to those that are in the family of God who are in need? And by the way, that is the pattern of giving in the New Testament. That The giving goes to the church first. As we do good to everyone, let us especially do good to those of the household of faith. We take care of each other here first. We love non-Christians. We love the world. But the world will know that we are Christians not because of our love for them, but because of our love for each other. That's an important thing to remember we take care of each other. We love each other. Notice Paul used the generosity of this church as this example. Um, if you're living in Macedonia, uh, you're, it says extreme poverty. Men, you're working hard to provide and you're feeling the burden of working your 60-hour week or whatever the work week looked like, six days you shall work of going to sleep every night with calloused hands, with a busy mind or an anxious mind wondering, how are we going to make ends meet? The wife making the bread and seeing the flour run out, how are we going to make this happen next week? How are we going to make this happen next month? And you come to come to church, it's the Lord's Day gathering, you take the Sabbath and it's been a tough week. And Fortunately God has provided because he provides for all of our needs. He promises to do that But this church had experienced their needs met, but that's about it. They didn't have a lot else They didn't have vacation money. They didn't have vacation homes. They didn't take a, a trip to Branson here and there They just didn't have much They may maybe went to the fishing hole once or twice to catch some fish. I don't know They come to church on a Sunday morning And Paul had talked to the elders and deacons and let them know that I'm leaving Macedonia. And uh, if I'm going to keep doing this work, I'm going to need some help. God's going to provide, I have no doubt. But I'm going to leave here and I don't know what I'm going to be facing. I know I'm going to be facing dangers and the same things I've expected before, or it's happened before. I'm expecting to keep happening. And uh, I'm going to keep going here. And the mission of God's going to go forward. You guys remember that Jesus told us to go into all the world making disciples. And we're not going to stop until these nations are discipled. We're, we're going to keep going. We're going to press on. And so will you guys help me out? I need some help. And the elders and the deacons said, hey guys, we're going to come alongside. We're going to help Paul. Listen, we know we're going to do everything we can to take care of you, but we're going to do what we can here to help Paul. And we're going to come alongside of him. And, and these other churches, we've, we found out, we're, we're not able to do much or if anything at all. Most of them said no, but we're going to do what we can here today. And so you you kind of, your wife, you talk, you know, honey, we're going we're gonna to do what we can. And the burden, the feeling that you know that every single denarii that you give or whatever the currency was, whatever denarii you give to Paul comes out of your pocket and you're looking at your kids, you're looking at your grandkids, you're looking at your household and thinking, I know, we're going to feel the weight of this. And you give anyways. You can imagine it would be difficult for them to do that You, you may wonder, upon doing that, you know what what real difference is this going to make? Honestly, I mean, we've we combined all of our giving here in Macedonia, and it's like, Paul, we're sending you out with 72 bucks, buddy. You know, it, make that stretch. You know, 72 bucks. Go to Aldi. Go to Rural King to get your water. You know, stretch it out. Do what you got to do. And yet, here we are talking about simple acts of obedience of people we don't know their names. We don't know anything about them other than that they were a part of this church or that there was a church in Macedonia. And friends, our our lives, more than we know it, this is how it is with God. He takes simple, small acts of obedience, and it's like he does something, and we don't even get to to see it most of the time, and he does something with it. He affects generations through it. The, The culture of your home is built one small act of obedience after another. And your kids grow up in that culture. And your grandkids get influenced by that culture. And that culture gets passed on. And you don't know what God's going to do through your kids or your grandkids. But small, just I want to obey the Lord and the big things and the small things. And look what God does with stuff. Look what God does with your four dollars. Look what God does with a denarii that they just pulled out with a little bit of pocket lint, a little bit of money. This is all we got. And Paul's mission was fueled by it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is how it is with God. Um, most of the things that God will do in our lives, we, we don't we we probably are just not going to see. We don't know we don't know the effects of it. Um, I, I hope we get to see revival. We're seeing a lot. We saw a lot of people meet meet Jesus last year. Um, most likely, for, I mean, we're going to live our life obeying Him, and we're going to impact. Probably not a large group of people in our immediate life, but our kids are going to impact people and our grandkids are going to impact people. And so what feels small, what feels insignificant is monumentally powerful if we just trust the Lord with it. Obey with whatever God has given you. Obey. Don't get lost in dreaming about a different life or a better life. Don't get lost in wondering, well, I wish I could give more. I wish I could do more. Just do what you can do. And God does something remarkable with it. There's fruit that comes with obedience. There's reward that comes with obedience. And I'm going to have to define what I'm saying. Look at verse 17 and 18. Back in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Fragrant offering... A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I love this. Paul tells them, hey guys, I'm not after the gift here. It was $72 after all. I'm not after the gift. It's not about that. And Even though I'm well supplied, I'm thankful for it. I have what I need. and In fact, more than the full payment. I am well supplied at this point because of the gifts that Epaphroditus had sent. But what I'm really concerned about and really hopeful for is the fruit that will increase to your credit. Did you catch that? I do not seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Um, There's always reward for obedience. Always. I want to define this because in in some theological circles... When you start talking about reward for obedience, it can go really, really weird. You know, if you obey, uh, then God will give you everything that you ever dreamed of. And then other circles are terrified to talk about rewards coming from obedience. But we're going to see here in a minute that there are rewards that come with obedience. Yeah, think about in Matthew chapter 25, uh, the parable of the tar- ta- talents. Um, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. This this pattern of if you're faithful with little, you're going to be given charge of more. This is a principle in particularly considering the eternal state, but has principles that apply in this life as well. Be faithful in little. And what he saw is that what they were doing, they were doing as obedience unto the Lord they were wanting to obey and honor the Lord and that's what he wanted for them he wanted the the reward the fruit that comes from obedience and there's always that fruit that comes from obedience now here are a few things that are not a reward for obedience God's favor we don't earn God's favor grace salvation a free ride to an easy life. That's not rewards for obedience. Now, that certainly can give us a more comfortable life. We have a more comfortable life in this country than in most countries around the world. And we should be incredibly grateful for it. But rewards like contentment, development of character joy becoming more christ-like becoming less selfish and even provision there's always reward for obedience and paul wanted that for them there was going to be reward for their simple act of supporting the mission That Paul was on that in fact was the mission that God had given him and he was well supplied they gave him what he needed and even more and it was said to be a fragrant offering to the Lord and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God now if you're like me when you think about sacrifice and fragrant offerings and pleasing to God you get the word pleasing to God you immediately begin to think in terms of justification and we're gonna we're gonna define some things here that I think are incredibly helpful for us to define and will really clear up some um, sometimes you can be, in systematic theology, you can get but get so much in a systematic category that you struggle to say yes and amen to all that God says yes and amen to. And so you get, when you think pleasing to God, you're only thinking in justification and you miss something that's being said here. Let me clarify. If you don't understand justification, we cannot understand this verse. It says that they're giving was received as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. If we don't understand justification, we cannot understand this verse. Hebrews 10, chapter 11 through 14. Let me read this real quick to you. Here's what it says. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Single offering. Friends, in this room, if you're being, anybody in the process of being sanctified, meaning... You're in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. You've not arrived yet. You still deal. You're kind of dusty a little bit. You have sin struggles. You do things still, and you're thinking, why in the world did I do that? Anybody in the same boat as me? Okay, here's what Jesus did for you. For all those being sanctified, you know this, and we love this, for a single offering, he perfected, perfected once for all time, those who are being sanctified that in Christ Jesus, you are declared righteous. There's not a single sin that's held in your account. And all the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to you. Therefore, this verse, when we're talking about a fragrant offering or a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, we can't be talking about justification. Because if you're a Christian, you're justified. God is pleased with you. You are in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And he is forever pleased with you. It's fixed. You belong to God. Therefore, Philippians 4.18 cannot be about justification. The Philippian church did not appease God's wrath through giving. They did not appease God's wrath through giving. They cannot appease God. So what is this passage about? What does it mean That it's pleasing to god that their obedience was pleasing to god i mean can a non-christian just give and it be a fragrant offering to the lord a sacrifice pleasing to him is that the path to salvation and justification and the favor of god just give just obey well no not at all so what is this passage about this passage gives us insight into what it looks like to live as children of god this is about adoption um, we have been justified by God to be welcomed to the table, to be a child of God. Here's what Galatians 4, 6 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, so that, we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Here's the thing. Your justification is fixed and firm. It can't ever go anywhere. God's wrath is appeased. You've been brought into the family of God. You have been redeemed from the curse of the law so that you could have the Spirit of God within you, and and, and you cry out from the inside out, Abba, Father. You are a child of God. You were adopted by the God of the universe, and you belong to him. And you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And we live as children of the Most High God. And this is what we need to get, especially when we love imputation of righteousness. When we love all that God teaches about justification. We have to understand that we're justified to be brought into His family. That we now live as sons with a father and as daughters with a father. And although we cannot appease Him, He has already been appeased we can live to please Him, our Heavenly Father. And if we are firm on justification, then we can rightly walk as sons and daughters of the living God. If we don't know justification, you'll always think that your obedience and disobedience is about trying to appease God's wrath. And you cannot understand this passage if you don't understand justification. But if you understand justification... And, that's, and, and all you see is, is, I am justified and declared righteous, then you'll miss, you'll miss the glory of adoption. That you have a Heavenly Father, and we want to live to please Him. I want to honor my Father. He's called me His own. I was bought with a price through the precious blood of Jesus. I'm not my own anymore. And I'm not going to live like I'm my own anymore. I'm going to obey and honor Him Romans 12 one says this I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship living sacrifice we live sacrificially and that's pleasing to God in other words even though we're fully justified if we live selfish self-indulgent lives asking first what's going to please me it's dishonoring to God and it doesn't please him You're not going to lose your favor. You're not going to lose your standing before God, but you will not please him living that way. You're just as much a child of God, but you're not living for the pleasure of your father. Our obedience can never appease God, but it certainly can please or displease him. These passages are all over the place. We we live to please him by living sacrificially. Let me just read these real quick. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit with every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Children. Hey, kiddos, listen to me. All ages. This is the passage I was wanting you to hear earlier. I was saying, okay, this is the test here. Kids, children, obey your parents in everything. Parents are like, listen up. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Um, kids, it's hard to obey your parents sometimes. And parents, we, we, you know this, we don't always get it right with parenting. We need to be able to confess that and repent to our children when that happens. But, but kids, when you obey, that, that is a good, holy, and right thing. And I know it's hard sometimes to obey. It's hard for me to obey the Lord sometimes. But it's a good thing for you to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this pleases Him. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and just to, and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Grateful prayer, prayer is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. These are all separate passages in the New Testament. I can give you all... The references, if you would like, when we get done. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now before Enoch was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do not neglect to do good and to share in what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And whatever we ask from Him, we receive, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Hear me say this. Self-denying, sacrificial living for the good of others and the glory of God pleases our Heavenly Father So their simple giving pleased the God of the universe, didn't appease him. You can't earn your way into favor with God. That's what false religion around the world says, by the way. You can. That's what differentiates the message of Christianity from the world. The world says you can earn favor. Christianity says, no, you can't. He gives it, and he gives it freely. Their actions please God, and so do ours. When we're grateful for the grace of God and we want to obey, those actions are pleasing to the Lord. And Look at verse 19. This is so powerful, a promise that we get. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in in Christ Jesus. God will provide for your every need. Everyone in here has needs. We think about needs, food, shelter, clothing. These are highlighted for us in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is like, look, I'm going to provide for you. I'll give you your needs. The Gentiles seek after these things. Just trust me. I'm going to take care of that. Your food, your clothing. He takes care of you. Shelter. Let me ask you this. Are your needs met right now? Your needs are met. Why are your needs met? Because God promises to meet your needs. He gives us what we need to keep going. Paul reminds them of this. It must have been difficult to continue to give. Hey, guys, God will provide you of your every need. Every need you have, it will be taken care of. And he does this according to the riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. How many riches are found in the glory of Christ Jesus? They're unending and as surely as the riches of Christ Jesus are glorious, as surely as that's true, it is just as sure that he will provide for your every need. Paul was provided for even more than he needed. And here's the thing, uh, which is so often the case, and I think we, um, there's, a, there's a phrase, embarrassment of riches. We should never be embarrassed about what God gives us. We should steward it, never embarrassed about what God gives us. But friends, most of us in here have been given more than we need, and uh, and we think, in times of doubt, that the answer is just a little bit more. It really is. It really is easy in life to miss what God's given us, take it for granted, to not see it, to forget the blessings that He has just—I mean—given us freely. Here, He provides for our needs. And he does this all for his glory. Look at verse 20. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, that's why we exist. We exist for the glory of God. We come here this morning. We come here every single week. We gather in small groups. We pray together because God is worthy of our worship. We don't come here to glorify people. We don't come here to glorify any, anyone or anything other than the God of the universe. That's why we exist. We made fun kind of last week of of the going through life, trying to figure out, why do I exist? What's my purpose? And we make fun of it because of statements like this. Don't be so foolish. Don't buy the lie of the world that you've got to go find your own way and find out what life's all about. God tells us, and it's so great. Live for God's glory. That's why you exist. Whatever you eat, drink, or do, do all for the glory of God. Our life, our worship, our good works, all exist that God would receive Glory. You want a sure way to destroy your life and leave a wake of destruction and generationally, uh, uh, with leaving a a wake of destruction that will impact generations to the negative? Okay, live self indulgent life, live for your own glory, and ask everybody else to sacrifice for you and see what happens. But if you live for God's glory and obey Him with joy, it's like God. Do with me what you will. And I don't have to see all that you're doing. I just want to obey you. That is enough. That's a reward. Thank you. I want to please you. You have been grateful. You have been graceful to me. You have been gracious to me. And I just want to honor you with my life. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow the Lord. We simply obey, just like this church in Philippi. Sure way to have the best life possible. Newsflash. The surest way to have the best life possible. Not by worldly standards. So much better than that. Worldly standards are so silly. It has to do with money and esteem and the praise of people. That's, That's vanity upon vanities. Daniel Cohen's looking pretty, wearing sunglasses right now for some reason. It's throwing me off. Sure way to live the best best life possible, live for the glory of God by obeying him with joy. Just, God, you've been, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, it really isn't. Paul wraps it all up, takes us on home, finishes this glorious letter with three verses. Verse 21, greet every saint. In Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's a simple goodbye. Greet every saint. The brothers, he wasn't alone. The brothers in prison greet you as well. We don't know if that was all of his compadres, or if that was also including people who were converted as he was in prison. But he wants the grace of the Lord Jesus. To be with their spirit. Paul's final word of prayer. It is what it always is in his letters. Is that the grace of God would be with them. And he says deep down in their spirit. That the grace of God would be with your spirit. God's grace through and through. From the beginning to the end. Paul opens with the grace and mercy of God. And ends with the grace of God. Look at all of his writings. Look at all his letters. The grace of God. The grace of God. It's intentional bookends. You start with grace and you end with grace. You're brought into the Christian faith through grace and you're kept by grace. You're brought home by grace. Grace is our theme. Grace never gets away from us. We should never let it get away from us. It's always there for us. It's always chasing us down. And Paul wants them to know the grace of God deep down in their spirit. A healthy Philippian church, this generous church, is not over the grace of God and neither should we be. It's a prayer that Paul knew would be answered for sure because God's grace is sure. Um, It's a prayer that Paul prayed at the beginning. It's something he said in the beginning. Paul said, he who began a good work in Macedonia and you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so when he prays, For the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit, he knows it's a prayer that's going to be answered. God's grace was with them, and it would be with them, and it would go with them. It was true in Macedonia, it was true in Philippi, and the same is true here in Carbondale. The same is true here in southern Illinois. The same is true in your address. Wherever it is that you live, God's grace is with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you for all that you did in this church all those years ago. And God, you're continuing to work in your church all throughout the world, not just here Uh, God, the epicenter of your grace, the cross of Christ to the world. So there's people all over the world worshiping you today. We thank you for our family. God, we want to be a church like the church in Philippi. We want to be generous. We want to be excited about your grace. We want to walk in unity in the area that there's discord. We want to work together to find unity and have the same mind. We want to be men and women who learn contentment and all things. There's just so much, God, and we want to honor you in that. So help us. It's as simple as this. Help us to respond with thankfulness for your grace. You've brought us into your family. We're your sons. We're your daughters. I mean, so help us to be thankful for that. And then help us to look for areas of our life where we just need to obey, just like this Macedonian church. Here, Paul, we can give to this. Where do we need to obey? Help us sing. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.